rhyme, no reason. This sounds better, right? Yeah, it does. Okay. I noticed um, even last week with you talking directly into the mic like you need to, right. I still had a lot of me in your mic. Oh, yeah, so baby. So I'm going to turn you down. You're going to have to talk a Welcome to Super Duper Stitches. <laughs> <laughs> the Paranormal Podcast. Where we uh, talk about strange. Microphones. Yeah, we talk about microphones, levels, audio, and, topping uh, out, gaining. Yeah, and I whine about how it's never quite the way I want it to be. You whiner. I'm Jake. I'm Wyatt. We talk about spooky stuff. We talk about sciencey stuff. And we try and make those two things work together. Come together. And either way, we go and giggle. Mm-hmm. Wyatt, what are we drinking today? Today, we are drinking, and I'm going to get this name right because I'm looking right at the can, Puck Wudgie American Pale Ale by Downroad, Already. the beer company. Dedicated listeners will recall that a Puck Wudgie is turned into porcupine, you small weapon and shit. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, this does taste pretty uh, goblin-y, gremlin-y, I would say. Yeah, I would describe the flavor as gremlin-y. <laughs> um. <laughs> So that's where our mindset is right now. Exactly. And, you know, I invite Downroad to uh, pay us money to talk less shit about their beer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, it's really good. And you guys should look for it. It's got a cute can. Two little foxes kind of looking up inquisitively at this little critter. um, I'm looking forward to finding a uh, Mopinguari pale ale. Ooh, that would be really cool. Or maybe a brown. Yeah, or it could be like a Saison or something. Yeah, Saison. Mopinguari Saison. (laughs) (laughs) Don't let its one eye and stomach mouth (laughs) disturb you. (laughs) So what are we talking about this week and next, Wyatt? So we are back on track with another super duperstitious Special report, and we will be talking about natural energies um, and their many forms. And so this week, I believe we will have some stories and various sort of takes on... It's kind of supernatural, natural phenomena sort exactly. of thing. Things people associate with those sorts of things. Now, to be clear again, the goal of Super Duper Stitches is not to disprove religions or anything right, like that. Right, right. And yeah, a lot of these beliefs do fall into different sort of belief systems around Absolutely. the world. So we're looking more into the really specific stuff and just kind of either where the beliefs may have originated or just some of the weird ways people have taken it and run with it over the years. A- absolutely. And and furthermore, a good note for this and any other episode, you know, we love to have a laugh at the takes and angles of some more extreme views in our minds, but we certainly don't mean to be uh, slamming anyone's walk of life, I guess you could say. Except so. for the one specific person we talk about that episode. Exactly. So, you know, today, <laughs> buckle up, <laughs> Joanna. All right. So... I believe I am beginning this week. Is that correct? I believe so. Then I'm going to jump right in with a little tale about some rocks. The following, Sounds good. The following is an article from the Museum of Unnatural History, mm. uh, unmuseum.com. There is no doubt that California's Death Valley National Park is an unusual place, situated in the Mojave Desert in the driest location in North America. With one spot at 282 feet, 86 meters below sea level, it also has the distinction of being the lowest elevation of any place on the continent. What? Finally, it also has to be known as the hottest locale on Earth with temperatures hitting a record high of 134 degrees Fahrenheit, 56.7 degrees Celsius, in the Furnace Creek section of the park. I actually think that record has since been beaten in uh, the Middle East somewhere, but I'm not positive. Oh, no kidding. Um, I'm sure it will be beaten again in years to come. Yes, every single year to come, probably. Yep. Just a quick aside, it's February. We're in New Hampshire. What's the temperature going to be on Wednesday? Why? Uh, something like 70 or 60 or something. It's 70, yeah. 70? Celsius. No, it's <laughs> Fahrenheit. Uh, <laughs> We're all going to die. <laughs> uh, while all these features are certainly unusual, there is one more oddity about Death Valley that makes it one of the strangest places in the world. It's a place where the rocks move by themselves. Say what now? Now, you might argue that there are plenty of places where rocks move without human or animal intervention. During an avalanche, tons of mud, soil, and rocks can come tumbling down steep slopes. And during an earthquake, even large boulders can go bouncing around. In Death Valley, however, those stones slide across a nearly flat, dry lake bed called Racetrack Playa, leaving long, smooth tracks. Hmm. No avalanches or earthquakes needed. Not like little stones, either. Some of the moving rocks are estimated to weigh as much as 700 pounds, or 318 kilograms. Wowzers. What's even stranger is that some rocks seem to move in long, straight lines, then suddenly change direction. Others Hmm. look like they've taken a smooth, curved path. Hmm. Some of the tracks made by the stones are just a couple of yards long, while others run hundreds of feet. 
The lake bed is very isolated and rarely visited by people, or at least it had until people started noticing this uh, phenomenon. It was right, very right. rarely visited. Nobody's ever been there at the th- um, at the time to actually see a rock in motion. Uh, because of this, over the years, a number of odd... <coughs> had a pretty good run before that happened. A number of odd... It's <coughs> funny. Anyway, go on. Because of this, over the years, a number of odd theories have been developed about what might be behind the phenomenon. Some of the ideas include magnetism, mysterious energy fields, and even pranksters. Some of the more <laughs> some of the more extreme solutions involve flying saucers and aliens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The strange phenomenon was first mm-hmm. documented in 1915 when a prospector named Joseph Crook from Fallon, Nevada, visited the area. Crook observed that some of the stones sitting on the lake bed were at the end of long tracks. Do you think he was like, "I am a crook," <laughs> with big jowly kind of yeah. Uh, giving the impression that they must have moved, scraping up a little less than an inch or so of the soil as they crept along. In 1948, two geologists, Jim McAllister and Alan Agnew, or Spiru Agnew, to go with the Nixon thing. Yeah, there you go. Um, Damn. Published the first scientific report of the phenomenon in the Geologic Society of American Bulletin. The two suspected that high winds and sl- uh, wet, slick mud in the lake bed might be behind the odd movements. It also occurred to them that if the effect was due to conditions on the valley floor, they might find rocks that do the same thing in other locations. Mm-hmm. A similar phenomenon was found to be happening in the Little Bonnie Claire Playa in Nye County, Nevada. Oh, Little Bonnie Claire. Little Bonnie Claire. Oh, such a beautiful. Such a valley. Uh, and later on at Great Slave Lake in Canada's Northwest Territory. Not going to riff on that nope. one. <laughs> so theories about what the hell was going on here abounded. Remember, at least several TV specials in the 90s focusing on the mystery of what could be going on. Let's look at some photos mm-hmm. of what mm-hmm. these actually look mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. So here's um, mm, yeah, an so example of one. This is more in the I've seen time. some images of these before, but this yeah. is cool. Here's an example of a oh, whole yeah. bunch of them That's at cool. once, and their tracks kind of seem to be parallel to each other, but they change direction at different points. And these ones look very tiny. Uh, these are from a, quite a distance. Oh, I um, see. A drone Whoa, shot. shot from space. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, here's a good Wow, yeah, look at that. Shot of a big one up close with a track behind it. I think that's what our skin looks like up close. Probably. Here's one that um, went for a while and then made a 90-degree turn. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, so if anyone's listening, we're basically looking at, if you've ever seen mud flats before, it's the sort of like cracked, dry earth. And uh, a sort of maybe foot-wide looking trail has just been scratched through it. Very regular scratch, sort of as if you were to drag a sled through snow, I guess you could say. Yeah. And, um, you know, at the far end of it or near end of it, depending on what angle the camera has been at when it took the picture, there be a stone. Mm-hmm. So some proposed theories that have come up include strange magnetic forces. Could the unique low altitude of Death Valley make this particular playa more susceptible to Earth's magnetic field? I mean, maybe. But, <laughs> but the sailing stones are made of dolomite, which is not exactly a magnetic rock. Uh, dolomite is a lot like limestone. It's a sedimentary rock. It's the most um, boring rock I've heard. <laughs> dolomite. But uh, dolomite is like limestone, except that it contains some magnesium. Um, I believe the main uh, mineral is ca- um, calcium, magnesium, carbonate or something. I don't know. Okay. Um, I mean, it's C-A-M-G parentheses C-O-3 close parentheses 2 for anyone oh, who that really old, uh, cares. Yeah. <laughs> That'll clarify <laughs> that old for the listeners. I'd like to think there's one listener out there like, I fucking oh, okay. knew that. I knew it. <laughs> um, another theory is swelling clay after rainstorms. So could the clay be mm. absorbing water in weird ways that cause the kind of the moisture to rise up underneath the stones and make right. them slide? Uh, this seems very unlikely given the distance that the stones sometimes travel. It's a long way for this weird clay swelling to cause that to happen. Sure. Alternatively, there's the notion that the clay just provides lubrication and then wind does all the work of moving the rocks. Right. However, the rocks are heavy, um, but not too big by way of air catching surface area. So... A lot of wind can blow on it, and it's not really likely to move it just in mud. Sure. Um, another theory. Aliens, because it's <laughs> always aliens. It is, right? What their, <laughs> motivation, what their motivation would be exactly, who knows? But, <laughs> I mean, yeah. They came all this way just to do that, presumably. <laughs> yes. Like, all right, our work here is done. Let's uh, get out yes. of here. <laughs> so, yeah, aliens. Uh, another theory that was brought up was pranksters. Particularly mm-hmm. as more and more attention turned towards the stones, people started to suspect that maybe people were just going out and moving the rocks. The old crop circle phenomenon. Exactly what I was going to say. The same oh, same kind of how about that? rationale behind making crop circles. However, the tracks made by the rocks are only possible when the ground is wet, 
meaning that there would mm. be footprints too alongside them. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, and plus some of the rocks are heavy as hell, mm-hmm. which is um, you know not a very conducive to pranking, and b make it that much harder to yeah, move. Yeah, much harder. Yeah, exactly. Um, Without leaving a trace. Yes. And the, yeah, the fame of racetrack Playa has started to attract so many tourists that they totally fuck shit up now. And oh, it's very, no. very obvious when they do. So here's some photos of what it looks like in the areas where people have visited. So here's just a bunch <laughs> oh of footsteps. It's just dumb. Here's an area are just around. People just like looking at one of oh the tracks. Oh, my God. And so when they go out there while it's still wet, they totally make a mess. Like you can, It's Yikes. very clear that people have been there. Yeah. And the tracks up until this happened were totally on their own no footprints around them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. furthermore until the area became famous holy crap what an impractical place to play a prank on so few people who would even know yeah, do you think they're gonna see this uh <laughs> in the most inhospitable place on the entire <laughs> continent <laughs> another explanation that has been given trans-dimensional vortices mm-hmm. so we're getting more into just the straight up bermuda triangle area of explanations at this point okay or quite popularly psychic energy could some unseen force moving through the playa, through the valley, or through the stones themselves be somehow channeled in such a way as to result in motion? Mm. Mm-hmm. More on this type of effect later on. Yeah, you're really more on that, huh? <laughs> yeah. More on. More. Go on. Yeah, it sounds closer to what I'm talking about, too. Yes. So, uh, again, some more quotes from the Museum of Unnatural History. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1955, George M. Stanley looked into the mystery. He thought that the stones were too heavy to be moved by the wind alone. Mm-hmm. He suggested that at times the dry lake bed would flood, and if temperatures were low enough, the water would turn to ice. As these ice sheets moved, they would carry the rocks they trapped along with them. So if you think about like when glaciers move, they can carry all kinds of rocks and things with them and drag them along and do all kinds of crazy cool stuff. Right. This would be like a really small-scale version of ice doing that, right. and in this case moved by wind. So it wasn't until 1972, however, that somebody actually decided to test Stanley's theory. Researchers Bob Sharp and Dwight Carey went to the valley and picked 30 stones for their test, which looked like they had moved in the recent past. They gave each of the stones names and placed stakes in the ground near them to mark their current locations. Then they picked a few special stones and created a corral around them uh, using metal stakes made of rebar. The idea was that if a large uh, ice sheet was involved in moving the stones... They would be blocked or deflected by the stakes of the corral. Mm. The stones seemed to take no notice of the corral, however, and one of them left it um, that winter, only narrowly missing one of the stakes on its way out. Oh, wow. So that kind of seemed to indicate that if ice was involved, it was just a small collar of ice around the stone itself and not a large sheet. Right. One of the other things that came out of the seven-year study was uh, was the observation that none of the stones seemed to move in the summer, only during the winter. Hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, During the study, 28 of the 30 stones originally selected for monitoring moved. Hmm. The smallest stone, named Nancy, uh, which was only a few inches across, moved the longest distance, 860 feet, 260 meters. The largest stone to move weighed about 80 pounds. Mm -hmm. One of the heaviest stones, Karen, which was estimated to weigh 700 pounds, did not move at all. However, after the test period was over, Karen disappeared. Oh. Uh, she was rediscovered by San Jose geologist Paula Messina in 1996, about a half mile from her last known location. What the fuck? Aliens. What? <laughs> yeah, for real. Wait, what the hell? So, yeah, they, during their study, they totally lost Karen. They couldn't find her anywhere. <laughs> and then... You could say there was not a Karen in the world. And then years later, another scientist found Karen uh, half a mile away. What the fuck? That's yeah. weird. Uh, Do they I, know how and why or anything to this day oh why don't you just buckle up there shell i will take my seat excuse me in 1995 tell me what happened <laughs> <laughs> um, in 1995 another scientist professor john reed and several of his students went to racetrack playa to examine the mystery they found evidence that despite the research done in the 70s at least some of the stones were moving due to being embedded in a large sheet of ice up mm-hmm. to a half a mile wide they based their conclusions on the marks found on the ground after the winter of 1992 to 1993. So they just like they came out there and looked at stuff that had maybe happened over the winter and concluded that it made the most sense. Right. However, there is confirmation that the stones can also move individually. In 2011, a study suggested that the dry lake bed can flood, then freeze. As the water thaws, ice may cling to the stones, floating them like little icebergs. Partly floating in the water with ice to reduce the friction... A strong gust of wind can get uh, can get even a very heavy stone moving. 
Once a stone is on the move, the energy it needs to keep going is only half of what is needed to get started. So they can continue for quite a distance even if the wind gust drops. So it's a deal where the lake bed fills up with some water, the top layer freezes, it sticks to the rocks, mm-hmm. um, and then in the morning when the ice starts to break up as it slowly thaws, um, wind blowing on the huge ice sheets, there's plenty of surface area on the ice sheet, mm-hmm. and it can kind of drag the um, rock along the now wet mud. Mm-hmm. Um, the majority of energy required to get it moving is just to get it started. Once it's started, the um, yeah, there's no more inertia to deal with, so it can kind of go for a while, and it goes with whatever the current is and stuff, and so mm-hmm. that can kind of make that work. Um, in 2006, Ralph Lorenz, a NASA scientist, de- uh, developed a tabletop experiment that seemed to confirm the idea of ice rafts floating and moving stones. That's cool. He was first drawn to the sailing stone mystery because he was interested in meteorological conditions on Saturn's moon of Titan, and racetrack playa seemed to have some very similar characteristics. Um, so Lorenz put a rock into a Tupperware container and filled the container with water until the rock was almost covered. He then froze it and let it thaw out a bit until there was just a small raft of ice with a rock caught in it. He then put the rock with its ice raft into a tray of water with sand at the bottom. The ice floated the rock so that it only lightly sat on the bottom. Lorenz could then blow on the rock and it would move easily across the sand, leaving the trail behind it. This is like a small-scale experiment to test out the idea of what could be happening in racetrack playa. Right. A scientist would like to confirm the stone's movements by the use of inexpensive time-lapse digital cameras, but so far, it's a difficult task to wa- uh, catch the rocks in the act. It is believed that a single <laughs> stone. rocks. Yeah. It is believed that a single stone might not move for years, and when it does, the movement might only last about ten seconds. So trying to set up a camera oh, wow. to catch that specific moment is really, really hard. <laughs> not tractable. Yeah. Yeah. So it seemed pretty unlikely that we could just watch or record the rocks and find out what their deal is. But then, in 2014, scientists lucked out and totally did catch the phenomenon on video. Oh, shit. Uh, so here is what that looks like. So it's a time-lapse thing. You can see it's only oh, look occasional at him go. shots. But yeah, it gets cruising after a little while. You can see that there's water everywhere around it. So, But not a drop to drink. And uh, yeah, it just moves along. So finally we did catch this phenomenon on camera. And it's hmm. it's not as exciting as you might expect, but it's also just like yeah, a rock. Not thrilling, the but rock thrilling moves. in the sense of like there it is. Yes, there we it saw is. It. Catching it in the act. Right. Uh, it turns out that like many of my chosen topics on this show, the answer is in fact ice. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, as had been theorized, the plasma can fill up with a small amount of water in the winter, makes the clay wet, does that whole ice raft thing we described, and yeah, it totally works. These plates can be stuck to multiple rocks, so you can get that many moving kind of parallel to each other at a similar distance or it can be separate rocks they can have slightly different paths Mm. Um, it can can account for the change in direction if the wind changes or Mm -hmm. the curves like you know if it's going with the like floating in the water all the kind of weird stuff that fluid dynamics can result in account for what these rocks did and still do that's very cool that's very cool. so yeah that was um one fun story about weird stuff happening in the in the world. I chose that whole sailing stones business because it contains all of our favorite things. Unexplained weird occurrences, cool science, natural phenomena, paranormal theorizing, ice. It's got it all. <laughs> <laughs> but I also wanted to illustrate a particular habit humans have. Right. And that is reacting to their awe at the wonders of nature by assigning a whole layer of additional mysticism to everything. Oh my God, I cannot wait until my account... Oh, I'm I'm getting there, don't Which you? Which is totally real, and I want you to take it very seriously. Yes. But we'll get we'll get to that later. <laughs> uh, it seems like maybe we can't just let things be what they are and be right. thrilled by how amazing everything is, but instead right. have to believe that things are even more than that. Because Indeed. humans like to feel like we are special, and so any interest in something as ordinary as say a rock <laughs> needs to be offset by making the rocks also somehow special. It's a conduit for coolness. Exactly. To that end, I want to finish my segment by briefly touching on some of the beliefs surrounding other non-sailing minerals. (laughs) So probably the most common example of humans attempting to spiritualize the natural world is crystals. Mm -hmm. Fucking crystals. Crystals, baby. And to clarify again, I will not be going through and individually shitting on each of these beliefs or anything. Uh, Instead, this week, I'll cover what people believe about various minerals. And next week, I'll talk about the scientifically supported cool properties of some of those minerals. Nice. So with that, let me read to you from healingcrystalsforyou.com. Mm. <laughs> is that a four as in 
the number four or F-O-R? It's healing-crystals-the-word-for-u.com. Nice. Um, is that U just the letter U or is it spelled out U? <laughs> it's actually the, the number four spelled out <laughs> and then the like tree U. <laughs> <laughs> the U tree. Um, oh my God. So here's some quotes from that. Crystal energy is the power that crystals naturally give off and that you are able to use to heal yourself. This page talks about stones with a higher vibration that are powerful aids to move you toward, uh, forwards in your life. Some crystals have higher frequencies and their strong energy fields can be used to raise your personal vibration. You can apply the metaphysical properties of these more powerful crystals as you learn how to use them to heal yourself. Yeah, baby. Raise me up. It is a great advantage to have natural crystals of any sort in your environment, and many people are particularly drawn to higher vibration stones as they have potent healing attributes. Hmm. What is crystal energy? Why would you use it? Many of the stones with the highest. I was highest... just wondering about that <laughs> yes. myself, actually. Many of the stones with the highest vibration are rare minerals, but by combining one of the rare minerals with other common high energy stones, common high energy stones, yes, you can create an amazing result. Mm. Herkimer diamonds and moldavite are two of a group of high frequency crystals that are easy to obtain. Mm. These special stones are of a very high frequency, so they may assist you to raise your vibration. The raising of your vibration may allow you to make contact with beings from other dimensions and mm-hmm. also spirits mm-hmm. in the higher realms. Oh, yes. Naturally. Joanna knows a lot about this. Carry on. Excellent. Maybe they do know each other. It's hard to say. Mm-hmm. Using them in any way will aid you, and having them on your body is extremely beneficial. It is a personal choice whether to wear them as crystal jewelry or keep tumble stones on you in a pouch. That's my choice is usually the second of those two. In your bag of holding? Mm-hmm. Excellent. There are special stones that are effective for physical healing, mental healing, and others for emotional healing. Each of the chakras have a special role in your overall health and your spirituality. If you desire to develop uh, specific abilities or to find your spirit guide, use some of the high vibration crystals. Stones such as datalite, stellar beam calcite, or herkimer diamonds, or any of the other stones on the list will help you. If you use those stones consistently, they may assist you to amplify gifts you already have. This includes psychic gifts such as psychic visions or clairvoyance and clairaudience or psychic hearing. The higher the vibration or of the stones that you buy, the better they are to use for spiritual healing. Many of you may ask oh why the crystal's healing properties may only just have been discovered now. Perhaps it is because we need to use their unique crystal energy at this time of intense global change. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason we'd only just be finding out about this stuff now. Yeah. All crystals are of benefit to you. And which ones you select will depend on your reason what about for the, choosing it. Wait, that's not true. What about the dark crystal? <laughs> that one is a little more I of a I think even a shard case. of that could fuck your whole shit up. <laughs> uh, as many of you are working on your personal and spiritual growth, you may find that you are being drawn to higher crystal energy stones. Mm. But Wyatt, now yeah. that you have all these powerful high vibration crystals, how do you actually use them? I, I really am wondering... Because I do have a Herkimer diamond. It's about two feet wide. <laughs> is that what the thing is? Yeah. I've been meaning to ask you about that. It takes up a lot of space in this room. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> it's just a footrest right now. It's kind of an now. albatross. Yeah. It's actually shaped like an albatross. I'm glad you noticed. <laughs> Most people just think it looks like a weird bird. But anyway. Specifically. How can I use it? Please tell me. It is important when working with spirit to ensure that you are aware of the need for using psychic protection. While using high-energy stones, be aware of the need to take action to ensure you are protected. Mm. Probably these would help you if you're using a Ouija board, too. Seems wait, like. wait. But I thought all crystals were good and you couldn't interact with one that wasn't helpful in some way. But now I need to be protected from the crystal itself? Wait, did I miss something? Why? Don't look for internal logic. <laughs> That's why I got these crystals in the first place, man. <laughs> you're using them wrong, clearly. <sighs> protection is essential, and an easy way to do this is to keep specific stones for psychic protection on you when working with high vibration stones okay so if you want to get all these powerful high vibration stones you also need to get some other stones to go with some those stabilizing stones. stones i guess So there are some stones that are all both protective and grounding yo jake i heard you like stones <laughs> so i got some stones for your stones that you can use <laughs> them with your stones <laughs> this includes stones such as sigillite purpurite black tourmaline smoky quartz and carolite some of the high crystal energy stones are classified as rare and many of these are not commonly available Stones such as Moldavite and Herkimer's diamonds are very useful when other high-frequency stones are difficult to obtain. Okay. So if you're able to buy one of the other stones, the specimens obtained of them may be very small due to cost or availability. 
These smaller stones, like natrolite, herditite, or um, uh, herderite, excuse me, excuse me, herderite, or I was going to say herditite. I have herditite, and <laughs> it ain't herderite. <laughs> uh, and phenocyte may be used as is, but they may benefit from the addition of either a piece of moldavite or a Herkimer diamond. Oh my God! So, in other words, <laughs> you can get some, but if you're really serious about this stuff, you should probably just go ahead and get them all. Mm. And not all of them are cheap or easily accessible. <laughs> you know, it'd be really funny. Did you ever watch? Okay, this is gonna date me, but you ever watch Pokemon when you were a kid? I did not. Oh damn! Well, they had this segment in the cartoon where they'd be like, "Who's that Pokemon?" And they give you an outline, and you have to guess which one it was. They had a TV show about collecting gemstones, and they would ask you which gemstone it was, and it was yes. just the outline of like a roughly <laughs> <laughs> geometric <laughs> shape. <laughs> That's clearly a Herkimer diamond, baby. <laughs> You're wrong. It looks like an albatross. It must be. <laughs> it's an albatross. The only shape that comes in. <laughs> I actually was going to say got to catch them all for this, but I ended up for some reason not doing that. So no, Well, there it have, is. Yeah, yeah, something about it, huh? Yeah. So I do want to go into a lot more detail about the ideas of special crystal properties, and in particular, vibrations. That seems to be the whole thing behind this is vibrations. Um, mm-hmm. The main thing I, I want to say now about vibrations is that Yes and no. There is a specific mm-hmm. frequency to every kind of or every crystal um, based on the lattice structure the molecules make up to form the crystal itself. Um, they do have a specific frequency, but they don't just vibrate at that frequency. Right. And so having them around you doesn't just cause that vibration. They rather um, kind of work more as a filter. So as you put vibrations through them, what comes out will be just the specific frequency you want. That's why quartz is used in watches and clocks because it can be a specific frequency that has a specific timing to its cycles Mm. and thus can Mm -hmm. be consistent as it keeps going Mm -hmm. and hence make a clock run at a constant speed. Mm -hmm. But I'll get into more detail about that next week. That is a good example though of like some of this kind of thing conceptually being actually real and actually applicable in a very scientific way it's absolutely cool. and i will use that as kind of a teaser for next week where i'll get into a lot more detail about some of the cool stuff that crystals actually can do and things that yeah they don't do <laughs> that's right also lattice structure should not be confused with lettuce structure which yes. is the shape How of one salad, salad yes. yeah exactly for now let's talk about some other energy stuff that i think you have for us this week all right so for this week i will carry on with ley lines Ley lines. Which is a term that I think rings a bell for many at the very least. But um, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, this term refers to invisible but no less major channels or avenues of spiritual, electrical, or otherwise earthy energy which wrap around the planet along these sort of like set lines. Ley lines. Oh, okay. Because of their special energy, sites, or really any location which rests along these lines, um, especially where they intersect, are considered very special places of power. Hmm. Most intriguingly to this end, ancient sites of religious and or cultural significance are situated directly on these lines. Hmm. So these include Stonehenge. Ah. The Egyptian pyramids. Hey. Angkor Wat. Ooh. And Machu Picchu. Hey. Among all the others. major parts of the world, basically. That's all of it. That's, that's the, whole the entire world. world. <laughs> but there are many others as well. And tracing them out along a map, you find they rest along continuous lines that are regular. It's not like, oh, it goes over here and then it cuts back over there. They're very regular sort of sine wave, if you hmm. will, lines. Furthermore, to that same end, uh, though we refer to these lines as ley lines in the West, multiple cultures around the globe, and if depending on your source, they'll say every culture, every people that has had any kind of organized civilization throughout history yeah. have had some understanding of what these lines may be, their existence, and their power, and the ability to sort of draw from that in some way. Okay. So it's the kind of universal knowledge of, oh, these are important and these we are, need to act on that. Exactly. This is a powerful sort of natural resource that we can tap into. So in China, they're known as dragon lines. They don't obviously call them that directly. Um, in South America, but when they're not line, listening, they'd call them that all the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they don't tell them to their face, but in private. 
Um, in South America, they're referred to as spirit lines, and in Australia, the Aboriginal folks will call them uh, dream lines. Okay. So despite this global correlation, the existence and access to ley lines has become the primary occupation of certain folks. Uh, certain folks like humble, passionate writer Tanaz. Tanaz. From the webpage foreverconscious.com. Foreverconscious.com? Tanaz puts it very nicely. Quote, just like we have our own energy centers or chakras, Mother Earth also has hers. We are connected to Mother Earth through the subtle electrical current that runs around the entire planet. These electrical currents are almost like Mother Earth's veins. Just like we have veins that flow in and out of the heart, Mother Earth has ley lines, which coil around the Earth in a similar fashion as a DNA strand. Kind of makes a metaphors here. Don't question Tanaz, the Tanazmanian devil. <laughs> these lines are said to be able to take information or energy from these higher vibrational points and carry them around the world, spreading knowledge and wisdom to all inhabitants. You mentioned... Australia having, um, calling them dream lines, which I'm assuming refers to like the dream time. Yes, indeed. Do you happen to know off the top of your head if Uluru is on a ley line? I believe it is. Let Damn. me double check real quick. Okay. Yes, it wow. rests along a ley line as well All as right. many other uh, sites of significance in Australia. Huh. Okay. So the big question I was going to ask before, which again, you can probably cover as you get further on, is to what extent someone could possibly have just tried to find an arbitrary line that connected all these major sites but the more sites you add to it the harder that would be to do it's true um and actually that is i was going to say that for later or even next week mm -hmm. in that it is kind of the grand dispellation for me if you can use that word yeah it kind of undoes it all for me in that there are so many sites around the earth that eventually you're able to draw a loose line between them okay furthermore um, depending on the map you, you look at, there are either just a handful of significant ley lines, um, which still trace interesting sites, mm -hmm. which is kind of cool, or there are major ley lines, medium and minor ley lines, if you will, and these intertrace all around the globe, um, intersecting variously here and there. So it really depends on your scale of resolution. Okay. But I do believe there is some degree of that kind of... We're on a big, cir uh, big circle. Time is a flat circle. Time is a flat circle, and as you go around that circle, 360 degrees, <laughs> you're going to bump into the same thing twice sometimes. <laughs> Let's cut this part out, please. <laughs> Sound like a moron. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I think there is a lot to be said insofar as there are lines you can draw that will happen to bump into a lot of interesting places. Okay. They don't necessarily have to have a charge. At the same time, it also rides into the realm of... Regardless of whether we can measure a charge or not with the equipment we use to assess the world around us, mm -hmm. people can have their own personal experiences in these places and they can subscribe to that interpretation of reality. And it kind of is like no foul, no harm, as it were in my mind. Yeah. So to that end, it is, it is the people of Tanaz's ilk who, you know post on and pursue their reality through the lens of sites like starseeds.net mm. who offer that ley lines act as gateways to higher dimensions are associated with extraterrestrial and otherworldly activity affect the growth and health of plants and animals living on or near their sort of location like the egyptian pyramids very much so <laughs> or uluru for that matter exactly um, exactly. And create vortexes of energy in which a person might elevate their own energetic and spiritual charge. It's those folks with whom we'll be journeying today. Oh, good. I invite you to please raise your elevations with me. Oh. As we both go under and over this earth and take in some ley line accounts. And why it is important, as I learned from HealingCrystalsForYou.com, not to become ungrounded for too long. That can be dangerous, so we need to make sure... We uh, don't go too far. It's true. Well, we, we don't have any other than that one giant albatross-sized Hercomer <laughs> diamond. We don't really have anything to keep us grounded. It's true. And I do appreciate that we are both resting our feet on top of the diamond right now. <laughs> yes. It's pretty comfortable, though, I'd say. I'm surprised that each, like, you know, each of the wings kind of is a good sort of foothold. Yeah, for exactly. Exactly. Just make sure you tell me when you're going to take your feet off because I don't want to counterbalance it too badly. Okay. We, uh, we're pretty good earlier about that, but 
All right, so according to the web page, the Tribe Finder, there are four main types of site that are typically found along ley lines. The first are meniers or standing stones. Hmm. Uh, these stones have the ability, they say, to harness the energy of the earth and send it out as blasts of energy. Oh. This energy has positive benefits for people's health and vitality, which is good news. They also harness conscious universal energy that will help us become more evolved, intelligent, and psychic. Hmm. So I'd say we try to find one of those in the next episode at some point, because that good. sounds pretty good. Yeah, I would not mind having one of those rocks blow its load all over me. Yeah, exactly. It's energetic load. Mm. Oh, baby. <laughs> Dolmens, which are cruel, boring people. <laughs> uh, dolmens, cellars where stones are built into the form of a room. Uh, many of them are located in France, Scotland, Ireland, and England. The purpose of a dolmen is to go inside and meditate. What makes them effective is the fact that they capture the energy of the earth and focus it, which gives us a big energy boost. Hmm. That thing like Newgrange and stuff? Newgrange? So you said it's um things you can go inside of, stone yes, structures? Yes, okay. So probably something like Newgrange in Ireland. Oh, let me look it up. I don't know what that is. It's cool. I went there. It's neat. Look at that thing. Yeah, it it's looks a like, a, mound. You go seems inside. like a dolmen to me. It's totally pitch black inside, except on the summer solstice when the rising sun shines directly inside, it illuminates the whole thing that inside. That is another huge deal with um, some ley lines, at least, is the aspect of astrological or... Astronomical. Astronomical alignments on the Earth, and that that played a true and important role in um, more ancient cultural layouts of their civilizations or important structures i just got an idea but i'll wait till you get further in here before i bring it up but insofar as maybe the alignments we're seeing aren't necessarily to do with the earth so much as they are to do with the stars yes there are also barrows these are mounds that exist in america as well as england from the outside they don't look like much just sort of large round domes perhaps newgrange was a barrow instead of a dolmen but they have entrances that allow us to enter. Inside is a large round room, perfect for meditation. And during your meditation session in a barrow, you will also receive, can you guess what? Uh, a elevation. large energy boost. Okay, You're energy right. boost. And finally, henges. Uh, Avebury and Stonehenge are the most popular. Purpose of such henges has been widely debated, but they cover everything from large-scale healing sites to alien landing locations. Hey. We're going there. So one particularly intriguing site is Glastonbury Tor, which is a hill near Glastonbury in the English country, or county, excuse me, of Somerset, uh, topped by the roofless St. Michael's Tower. Glastonbury Tor is basically a big hill which rises conspicuously from the surrounding meadows of the region. Hmm. Um, its slopes are terraced, but the method by which these terraces were formed remains unexplained to this day. Hmm. Artifacts from human visitation have been found dating from the Iron Age to Roman eras. The long-lived spiritual significance of this site, which remains to this day, along with the fact that it is situated at the crossroads of the major St. Michael's ley line, and many, many smaller paths of energy make it an intriguing location to me. Hmm. Here's a map giving you an idea of just how insanely <laughs> crisscrossed the site is. So here's Glastonbury. And, and all those are ley lines? All these lines are ley lines, yeah. Damn. There's the major one I think goes crisscross like this, right? This one, okay. I think. This slightly bolder one. Wow, that is a veritable fuckload of ley lines. Exactly, which is an appropriate term for it. Um, the area is thought to have once been surrounded by marshland and floodwater, given the remains of Iron Age lake villages nearby. And there are indications that boats could have once sailed right to the tour. Further, the so-called sweet... Right up it. Right, yeah. <laughs> up up up. the side, <laughs> over the other side. Um, further, the so-called sweet track, discovered in 1970, mm. um, extended across what had been marshland between what was then an island at West Hay and a ridge of high ground at Shapwick, spanning a distance of almost two kilometers. It is clear that this area was once thus engineered so that it could be passed on foot. Tree ring dating has revealed that the Sweet Track was built around 3800 BC, making it the second oldest engineered road in the world. Wow. The track consisted of crossed poles of oak, ash, and lime, which were driven into the waterlogged soil to support a walkway that mainly consisted of oak planks laid end to end. Just a fool, uh, a fool cun fact. 
a cool fun fact for those of you at home. <laughs> that is cool. On the tour itself, so at the summit of this hill, uh, several buildings were constructed uh, during the Saxon and early medieval periods between about 900 and 1500 years ago. They have been interpreted as an early church and a monk's her- uh, hermitage, the head of a wheel cross which is the uh, early Christian symbol, I believe, where you have, and, and Celtic as well, you basically have a circle with a cross through the center. Okay. And that is the head of it, so you can the line will trend further down, so it's okay. sort of up there. Every, I'm sure many are familiar with this uh, image, but just the head portion, so the central circle part. Hmm. Uh, dating from the 10th or 11th century has also been recovered on the site. Um, the original wooden church was destroyed by an earthquake in 1275, and the stone church of St. Michael was later built in the 14th century. Only its tower remains to this day, although it has been restored several times. So essentially, it's been in the mythology for a long time as well. Um, it's been a religious site for ages. Mm-hmm. It's mentioned in Celtic mythology, particularly in myths linked to King Arthur, and plays a role thoroughly in that mythology thought to be as well sort of like the location of avalon itself oh wow okay anyhow it's very intriguing and that concept of a ley line running underneath ties it to stonehenge directly Mm. and those sort of energies are thought to play a role to this day in that site's kind of i don't know what to call it mystique mystique i guess exactly there's even theory that um the terraces that wrap around the hill going to the top are part of a sort of labyrinth hmm. that traps spiritual energy that would otherwise be just going straight along this line, mm-hmm. sort of coursing around the, the earth, but helps channel that energy more directly into the site and sort of straight up to the top. So people hmm. will take pilgrimages to the top of this place to meditate and just sort of draw on that energy. Suck up all that good soul juice. Exactly. <laughs> Enough about that, though. Let's get into yeah, I was sick of that. a personal account of what life is like for those who live on and regularly interact with ley lines. Mm. So the following is the account of... <coughs> my account position. Lock as foils in account position. The following is the account of Joanna from starseeds.net, posted back in January of 2016, mm. and would most certainly get the Tanaz seal of crystalline approval. <laughs> but Wyatt, you're probably thinking... Starseeds.net, ley lines and spiritual energies. This story is going to be straight up bonkers banana sandwich cuckoo town. <laughs> you read my very mind. Do you have crystals on you? I do. I've got them all. <laughs> to that, I say, let's all just raise our frequencies, even the tiniest little bit, <laughs> and just simply accept that this person is having these experiences. All right. That this lady is sincere and her desire to share her tale is motivated by a passionate and honest interest in connecting with others who may be having similar experiences rather than by a lapsed medical prescription (laughs) or undiagnosed form of mild schizophrenia or dementia. All right. As ever, I will do my best to simply read her account. No funny voices. (laughs) An actual real life human being wrote this after all. I could easily have done an Australian accent for the entirety of my account. Oh, I wish you had. (laughs) Um, perhaps most excitingly about this account as well, Joanna includes photos of her experience. Oh. Lots and lots of photos. I'm really interested in what a f- what that could even entail. I'm looking forward to sharing them as they will very much help to qualify her credibility. Okay. So, Joanna opens with something like a life mission statement, which I'll read now. Alrighty. Hi, all. I'd like to open a space for sharing about experiences of connecting with the Earth's ley line or energy channel network in service to the planetary lift in frequencies. Here we can connect with what each other is doing or feeling in relation to the planet's energies. Also, for those who feel the inner call to assist and haven't yet made the connection, this thread is for you too, smiley face. I've been in deep connection with Gaia for some years, and will start this off by sharing my service and experiences of the last few. I'll include photos taken along the way as being a star family photo documenter is part of my role at this stage. Jake, feel free to riff on anything or ask questions or simply just offer your opinion. You look wrapped. I'm getting the impression that she is not a bodybuilder. Nope. Cool. Gaia is the planetary consciousness of Earth. 
Gaia is a soul, a beautiful divine spark of Source, capital S, who expresses in 3D manifestation as the precious blue-green pearl we live on, co-creating the current collective global reality in partnership with Gaia and all life here. Gaia is currently in the process of capital shifting this planetary body from a third to fifth dimensional experience, because fuck that first dimension. <laughs> the new planetary template is already in place, oh, based no. in unity consciousness of harmony, peace, and unconditional love for all life. <laughs> while, the duality ex- <laughs> while the duality template of separation and experiencing through contrast and competition is gradually diminishing. All right. It's good news. Yes. The process is graduated to keep it as smooth as possible. For those taking this journey with Gaia, tension and stress is felt where there is resistance or blockage from the ego mind until it allows itself to relax, align and flow with the higher template way of being. So quit being a fucking normie. (laughs) The higher dimensional template embraces and realigns the lower, converging the energies into one stream. This is true of the planet and all life traveling with it, and that template extends what I see as a, quote, golden print, in parentheses, the renewal of the golden ratio structural harmonics of capital sources, subcreation, in parentheses, into the subatomic level of our DNA and RNA, into our light energy body, just as it does through Guy's planetary template and energetic field. Still with me? Everything is in perfect reflection, just as the chi, aka life force, flows through the meridian system in our energetic body, so the chi flows through Earth's meridian system, the ley lines, or dragon paths. Okay. Our meridian pathways can become blocked or weakened. So can the Earth's. Some of this has been done deliberately by control-oriented entities to lock down the vibrational field of the planet. Some is due to residual energetic contamination. Here, I'd love to send out a big thanks to all the beings and people of many dimensions who are involved in uplifting and renewing the chi flow of the planet with Gaia. It is truly a labor of love and joy to rebirth ourselves and our planet into full alignment with Source again. We can connect with Gaia's higher dimensional crystalline core from our hearts by feeling immense love for the planet and sending that love down through our feet to the center of the earth. Wherever we are on the planet, we can attune our being to the energies, the chi flow which is everywhere, in all life. We can feel the great rivers, rivulets, and tributaries of light unblocking and purifying within the planet's surface, just as they do in our own energetic bodies, meridian pathways, when held in pure love, compassion, and lightness of being. We can pillar metaphysical light from Source's infinite field of love, through our light bodies into the 5D heart grid of Gaia. I'm still so curious what happened to 4D. 4D was just garbage, man. (laughs) They tried it out. It didn't work. And support and strengthen it until a tipping point is reached that melts out the illusional veil of separation from our individual and collective experience and feel undistorted immersion of essence in oneness, which is our true nature. So you know she's that aunt. Okay. (laughs) And that's okay. Also, I'd just like to say I can feel some of you out there having listened to Joanna's opening treaties and thinking to yourselves, Wyatt, I know you asked us to cut Joanna some slack, but I was already starting to lose my grip there. This sounds like some of Dr. Bronner level kookiness. (laughs) I would just ask that you maybe raise those frequency levels the fuck up some more. (laughs) Because we have not even begun to get elevated yet. Oh, God. She goes on. Elevate me, Wyatt. I'd like to share two of my experiences of anchoring with Gaia's Grid at the two properties I've lived on from 2011 to 2016, both in the Perth Hills. She lives in Australia. Hey. Both in the Perth Hills. That was the end of the sentence. Prior to this, I had for some months been attuning in inner heart meditation with Gaia, reawakening a deeper personal connection, which, if you will, brought me to these two locations. Both of them are situated on a ley line that runs north-south under the Darling Range, a ridge of hills running for over 400 kilometers down the western coast of Australia. The first place has a natural circle of granite boulders over a mini-node, a junction point of the major north-south ley line and a smaller crossing tributary. So this is, she's referring to, I think, the those smaller versions of ley lines yeah. I had mentioned before. Okay. Following inner guidance, I collected pieces of quartz crystal from all over the garden and arranged them in harmony with the node. 
with a beautiful red center stone gifted by a friend that came from an area near an Aboriginal sacred site in the Kimberley region of northwestern Australia. It has the energy of a mini Luru and was a perfect physical reflection of the energetic portal I opened with Star Family. That looks just like a Luru. Uluru? I can't even remember anymore. I think it's Uluru. We also removed a blockage from the smaller ley line near the node to resynchronize the chi flow there. At that time, ships from the Starfleet Ashtar Command became more numerous. I'm sorry, you need to read that again. At that time, the ships from the Starfleet Ashtar Command became more numerous, like the two below flying in at dusk over the node. See them flying, Jake? Um, yes. Beings were visible to me close to the node. The first I saw there were about nine feet tall. Figures of pure white light walking among the granite boulders next to the sacred circle. I was in communication with many Star family members by that time, and they gave both verbal and visual reminders to, quote, pillar the light into Guy's heart grid, such as forming orb pillars. At the beginning of 2014, I moved to my current home, a little further south along the same ley line. I was closely guided by Ashtar and Sesherat to make another sacred circle here with specific shapes and numeric values within a grove of beech trees where there is a beautiful, quote, heart energy uh, node in the earth. This is the form which took shape. Do you see the form, Jake? I see the form. What does it look like? It's kind of like a four-leaf clover in a circle or that cross thing you were talking about. Oh, <laughs> pro tip. Actually, it does kind of look like the Celtic cross. Um, this circle also has a center stone given by a friend in the USA, a piece of emerald from the Colorado River. Emerald is the color and frequency of the heart chakra. I enjoy that her friend's like, hey, you like rocks, right? Here, have a rock. Here, have this rock. The Leyland runs horizontally along the level of the sacred circle. A crescent of baby beech trees sprang up on the east side of the circle and grew at a beyond normal rate, with their roots in the chi stream of the node, which a star family had unblocked. Once reopened and cleared, the node was constantly guarded to make sure the energy flows stayed pure and stabilized with small corrections made to balance and protect it. A single orb is often present, checking and adjusting the flow. The sacred circle is also basically a keyhole of a portal. The next few photos show orbs above, or even sitting in the sacred circle. Oh, I do love me some orb photos. See the orbs, Jake? Yep, those are orb photos, all right. There's one. There's one. There's, There's another. another one. It's almost going down into the, the oh, circle. Oh, yeah, it's right there. It's going into the circle. That's there it is, yeah. And it's in the circle. Yeah, it sure is. Ashtar's energy form has appeared several times beside the circle. I wonder where that was going to happen. He had that big dick. <laughs> Ashtar's energy form has appeared several times beside the circle, as have other Starfleet members. They remain deeply cloaked, as there are neighboring houses very close by, and if higher dimensional beings unveil their light forms, they send out a radiant glow which I have witnessed inside my house and in their soul orb forms. Ashtar's head and shoulders with diagonal sash can be seen just just upper right of the f circle in this photo. Oh. You see Ashtar's head, shoulders, and diagonal sash, Jake? Upper right. You um, see him there? Okay. He's right there. Oh, yeah. That, yep. Yep. See him. I'm glad you can sure, see him, too. Yeah. Hmm. The close twin soul to me also stood in the circle when it was newly made in one of his higher dimensional soul aspect forms named Samarius. He appeared in a long robe in this photo, head and one hand is visible. Alright. Long robe, head, one hand. Uh, mm. I'm guessing that that is okay. the head. Makes sense. Shoulders, one hand. Oh, yep. Okay, that makes sense. Yes. Sense. <laughs> on one occasion, we also had a small ship on the ground in the grove in 4D. The, oh, the forbidden now D. Now we care about 4D. I see how it is. It's the devil's D. <laughs> a silver disc-shaped craft, which is which was cloaked with just the shape of its rim, was able to be seen. In the next photo, Arnap, captain of the Shemarua, can be seen standing between trees in the grove in the process of placing protective high-frequency pyramids and diamonds around the perimeter of the circle. Imagine going out in the morning and finding just a shitload of diamonds around your, your, your <laughs> no, for lawn. Real. I'm not going to sell these because Arnap put them there. Now, I could recognize Arnap immediately in the first photo, okay. so the second was unnecessary for me, but I just want to see what you took it as. Oh, yeah. He's clearly putting stuff down and messing around with uh, some 
You see, wafers. see how he's shooting down those those triangles on the ground. Yes, protective pyramids and diamonds. The next photo is from 11-11-15. Yes, certain dates to increase the higher flow, but once portals around the planet are open and stabilized, they remain open. There are two figures faintly visible in the second photo below. Compare it to the first one to see where they appeared. They were here to maximize the 1111 frequencies through the node. It does make sense that all of these extra-dimensional beings would adhere to the Julian calendar. Indeed. Yeah, they're very much subscribed to that. And, uh, you know, you can see them, can't you? Oh, yeah, that's, um, that is crystal clear right there. I'm glad that you drew the green circle around the very obvious creatures, because they're... Yeah, it just helps kind of, you know, accentuate the non-greenness in the first picture. I hope this gives an idea of how much input goes into protecting open nodes and cleared chi flows from control-oriented beings who would block them again, given the chance. Just as acupuncture can be used to rebalance and rectify chi flow through our own body's subtle meridians, so star family and helpers on the ground catalyze, open, and balance the chi flow of the planet, not with needles or lasers, but with precise flows of higher dimensional light. Right now I see and feel more and more portals in high energy, or excuse me, high frequency pockets, lighting up and holding firm around the planet, supporting Gaia's shift and the renewal of the divine golden print. As soon as the portal was opened here, other orbs began, also began appearing in photos. The energies of lost or hurt souls seeking healing and release drawn to the light. In the next photo, a large orb with a sort of hole in it is escorted into the grove by two small companion orbs. Companion orbs? Oh, how nice. Yeah, that's a pretty old orb. See that shit? Yeah, look at those little orbs. Look at that orb. As well as the network of ley lines, nodes, and tributaries around the planet, Everywhere we stand on the earth is sacred ground, an expression of divine creation, and where the chi flow has been un- has been blocked, weakened, or polluted, our unconditional love connected with Gaia helps to renew the life force. Love is life. Below are some of the beings that have shown up in photos taken in the grove. These beings include sprites, tree spirits, elemental beings, and star family in various projected forms, such as feline featured faces. Some of these, they're just cats. Some of these (laughs) beings come to the node for an energy recharge. Others are guarding and maintaining the light pillar flowing into the node. Others just want the Wi-Fi hotspot. They're trying to check their Gmail. Thanks, love, and blessings to them all, and to all here helping in human form, smiley face. The photos below were taken on December 8th, 2015. I was standing in the sacred circle facing west to take pictures of the beautiful purple native hibiscus in bloom on that side simple picture of a flower Mm -hmm. there is a slight blurring between the leaves a few feet away in close up the blurring area is faintly purple with the faces of several beings showing in it see all the faces you uh you see them right jake um say you fuck um say you see them i see them okay good these photos were taken on December 12th when I was guided to remake the outer ring of the sacred circle with pieces of white quartz that needed to have been in water. I went to the nearest river, the riverbed now dry in early summer, and collected the quartz. While making the new ring, there were a lot of presences watching that showed up in the photos below. We have a humble circle. Mm-hmm. It's now white with all that quartz. All that dull wet quartz. And in this image here, mm-hmm. we got... Some, uh, you see this face? Sure. You see that one? Yeah. Because I don't fucking see him. <laughs> On December 13th, while charging a piece of quartz to wear, to wear my heart. I'm picturing you just plugged into a USB port. Yeah, exactly. Charging the quartz up. On December 13th, while charging a piece of quartz on the emerald in the heart of the circle, a ship appeared straight above This is one of the pair of ships that appeared as below on the full moon of November 26th, 2015, of the Tau Seti origin. Of course. See it there? You can actually see a little speck. I do see a little speck. Nighttime. Okay. Blop. Blop. These beings of the Cetus constellation, a.k.a. Whale constellation, connected with the 6D plus whale and dolphin beings of Sirius C origin. Those guys aren't fucking around. They're 60 plus. They Ow. Their basement is 60. Come with the message that with the Leonine beings, they create and hold the sound frame around and within Gaia, integrally fused with 
the chi and light flows of the planetary grid and ask humanity to open their hearts and connect with them now. At the 3D reflected level, think of a blending of a cat's purr and the singing of whales and feel this in your heart and soul. God, I think I feel it. Oh my god, Jay. Honestly, I think I do too, to be honest. Uh, sound and light of creation, let it move through you and harmonize you with Gaia's higher dimensional flows. I can feel it, man. I do. With source creation, we are all one. I, you know, I thought we might be. Dude, I feel like crazy right now. I, I feel straight up insane. These little tree spirit pigs. <laughs> These little tree spirit beings appeared in the native hibiscus tree on January 19th, 2016. Look for them in the hollow above the leaves, upper part of the frame. Will do. Oh, yeah, they are cool. You didn't see them. <laughs> okay, folks, feel free to join in with and with your perceptions and or ley line experiences, learnings and or questions. Love to all, Joanna. So, Joanna, what can I say? <laughs> She out her mind. Yeah. But mm. she's having some kind of experience. For um, sure. And unfortunately, or fortunately, this is very much the kind of uh, community that props up ley lines. And next week, I'll be getting into more of the actual origins of the term ley lines. And I'm going to dig around and see what I can find on just general earth energies. Alrighty. Perhaps energetic fields. We can coordinate, I suppose. Yeah. Suffice it to say, the origins are much more tame. Yeah. And they have since been forcibly adopted by uh, communities of this ilk. Uh, it does seem like there's a, a strong degree to which folks like Joanna do uh, find a bunch of different sort of belief systems that seem cool. And adopt them all simultaneously. Exactly. It plays so much into exactly what you were talking about earlier about it can't just be rocks. It has to be a whole mythology, a whole framework. You can't just accept that things are really cool and amazing the way they are. It has to also be something more than that. Exactly. Now, in the case with this, like, so, no, we don't believe this is true. No. But... There's no real harm in what she's saying and stuff. Exactly. It's, I mean, it's only if you get into, like, beyond the, oh, crystals can help heal you to, well, medicine can't kind of thing. If you, send, yeah, if you then right. start prescribing, you know, not getting vaccines, then it's a problem. But up right. until that point, if it's just for your own personal Peace of mind system, and happiness. Like, sure. Exactly. Like, yeah, no harm, no foul, like you said. And honestly, like, the, what's the takeaway message from her story? Love everybody and be nice to the planet. Exactly. Like, There's hey, absolutely nothing wrong with you. that. How dare you? Yeah, exactly. You know. I do think it's interesting that both of the people we've happened to find are from Australia. There oh, are a how lot about of, that? There is a pretty big hippie culture in Australia, from what I've discovered, and I've also noticed that a lot of these belief systems seem to be mostly white people. Which I yeah. Th what I think is interesting about that is that it seems to be largely kind of like she mentions chi a lot in here. Chakras come up a lot. It's to a large degree, it's um, white people finding different elements of Eastern cultures that they like a lot and then adopting the parts that they that appeal to them the most. Just right. Co-opting them, appropriating them basically into some kind of new, fun, new sort age of modern thing mythology they like. that they can yes. subscribe to, incorporating many elements as well. I've noticed here in, in other accounts that I was reading of uh, the extraterrestrial aspects. Yes. Ashtar, Samarius, and my personal favorite, where's the name? Sesharat. Mm-hmm. Tapping that Ashtar. <laughs> I guess we could post some of these pictures because they're pretty It might be nice. worth trying to... We may even use the um, superduperstitches.com uh, secret media page where we posted Ooh, the, the map secret. you made for the um, oh, yeah. Thanksgiving episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> I worked so hard. <laughs> you did. Um, so we may just like put all these Never together on, on, <laughs> on one page um, so that you can see all the different things to which we refer. Yeah, it was hot nonsense. But, you know... Sweet nonsense, nonetheless. Yes, and very uh, positive. It's because there's there are different kinds of of ways of going about like believing in things that can't be real. There's dangerous things, and there's just like peaceful, yeah, harmonious things. And exactly. this is the latter. Absolutely true. And it's the kind of thing too. Some little part of my mind is like, dude, what if, bro? What if she's right about this? Sixth dimension, baby. Six I plus. Gotta raise it on up. Get into that 6D. 
So I think the idea of multiple dimensionality, uh, all these different like small fragments of scientific concepts thrown into these belief systems are things we can definitely talk about in detail next week. Absolutely. Um, as we get more and more into part two, the sciencey part of all of this particular super duperstitious special report. We're going to reground yes. these these elements. Oh, yes. I'm glad we have this albatross here. Oh, yes. This definitely <laughs> helped us out this week's episode. I feel a certain charge. I'm feeling elevated. I'm feeling like I'm at a higher frequency than I was before. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that frequency is 440 hertz, which is concert A. And I feel like my frequency of messing words up has elevated as well. So Yes. So I think with that, we will, we will leave you. <laughs> yes. But thanks so much for joining us. We hope you'll come Absolutely. back for part two next week. Yes, indeed. And uh, we'll talk to you then. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us. See you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.